Welcome to another episode of We Are Carbon. I'm Helen Fisher and I'm joined by Zuzana Zelinska, founder of Harvest Care, to discuss the role of nutrition as a key link between the health of people and planet. It's difficult to talk about a regenerative future without bringing the focus onto soil, though a topic I feel gets vastly overlooked is the nutrition that that soil can output. What better motivation do we have for becoming engaged with the health of the world around us than the impact that it has on our own personal well-being? If we could really get a grasp of the significance that quality nutrition has upon our health and happiness, then valuing the biodiversity and food production methods that make it all possible may be a chain reaction. It's a pretty big topic, so I asked Susanna to take us back to basics and offer a breakdown of what nutrition is and its importance from her perspective as a nutritionist. Then we dig deeper, and she shares her inspirational story and drive to create systems change through the seemingly simple yet powerful role of food access and education as a means to heal disease, communities and ecosystems. New episodes of this podcast are added every other Tuesday and they're available in both video and audio-only formats. Find them on YouTube and your favourite podcasting platform. And don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date. Right, let's get stuck in. Hi, Susanna. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you here to, to share your work as a nutritionist. Could you start us off by offering a quick introduction to yourself and your work with Harvest Care? Of course. Thank you so much, Helen, for inviting me for your amazing podcast. Um, yes, I just said I'm a nutritionist, but actually I work as an environmental nutritionist because I combine planetary health and environmental health with human health perspective. And in Harvest Care, which is my startup, uh, we're on a mission to help people to prioritize what really matters, which is our health and the planetary health, which are so interlinked. And I don't think in the ca current climate crisis, we can even talk about them separately. Um, so in Harvest Care, we, we really have the systemic approach to what we do. So we work on three different levels to help people to to empower them on, on, on healing themselves with food. And we do it on an individual level by offering nutritional and food coaching for people with different diseases like gut issues and hormonal issues. We do it on a community level where we organize um, health and nutritional workshops to offer people a new sort of community, a new experience, a, a place where, you know, we, we step in and suddenly food and caring for each other and um, paying attention to each other and each other help. It's, it's an obvious and a no brainer, which is not that common in our society. And then we also work more on a societal level, um, with, um, projects that focus on, uh, on targeting nutrition and health for vulnerable communities. Yeah, it's so many things tied together. And like you say, it, it, it is hard to have the conversation about regeneration and moving forward with community and all of the benefits that, that we can bring into that conversation. It's hard to not touch on nutrition and our health as individuals when we talk about the whole system itself. Nutrition and health, they're, they're so, so intrinsic to who we are you know it's relevant to everybody food is relevant to everybody because we all eat but when we talk about nutrition especially alongside the idea of it being something for our health and healthcare itself it's a big topic it's very very broad um, it's a huge conversation that we can take many angles on I'd really enjoy if we could start with the basics, because when it comes to modern medicine in particular, it kind of gets skimmed over or it's not really even acknowledged that nutrition and health go side by side. So it would be really fantastic if maybe we could begin at those basics and then we'll move forward hopefully later on and look at the regenerative connections and the land itself. Um, so maybe if you could start us off as a nutritionist, could you help us to understand the significance of nutrition on our bodies and our health? Such a simple yet complex question to be asked. Um, and yeah, I think you're very right that we it's very overlooked within our current medical um, sector as the doctors became more and more specialized, which 
brings a lot of value because now we are really able to target it. A lot of, you know, genetic diseases that otherwise are also infectious diseases that otherwise would kill off whole populations or whole communities. However, I think with this specialization that went more and more um, narrow, um, we, we, we kind of overlook the, the simplicity and overlook the, the principles, the holistic principles of life, which are really applicable for, for most of the society, um, in which the food, uh, what we have on our plate, is, it, it constitutes our short-term feeling, uh, but also like our long-term health. And, and you can, you could talk about this for a very long time, but as, as you said, let, let's go for simplicity. And, um, you know, our body is, needs a constant renewal of the, of the nutrients that constitute our body. Um, yesterday we ran a, a webinar with a nutritionist doctor from, um, from India, and she had this very nice analogy saying how, uh, you know, when a car, even though I'm not the biggest fan of car analogy because we are organic and the car is inorganic, but um, in a car you, you use plastic and metals and, and oil to perform like particular action. But in human body, it's the same what constant, it's the same what you eat in and the same on what you use in our body, right? So if, if you would not have certain nutrients as minerals and vitamins and, and macronutrients, which is proteins and fat and carbohydrates, your body will not be able to perform what it is designed to, which is, you know, create muscle structures and renew our nerves and perform all of the, all of the processes that we need to, to live. And if you, if you, if you, on your plate, those nutrients are missing, of course, your body will slowly deteriorate. And at the beginning, you, you will have less energy and you'll feel maybe fatigue or sleepy or your mood will be lower down because, you know, you now we know the microbiome is so interconnected with our brain. But over a long time, if you're continuously do not provide your body with the needed nutrients, you will start developing different metabolic conditions. And right now, those um, metabolic conditions which lead to chronic diseases as uh, diabetes type 2, cardiovascular disease, different cancers, are the biggest killer of our society. Because in Europe, it's around 86% of people that die from chronic diseases, which one of the main reasons for that is because of our inadequate food intake. So we're really in past well, one century, we went from being at risk of infectious diseases, but now we are really well with dealing with them, but now it's twisted around. We, we don't suffer anymore from hunger. Uh, we don't suffer from food scarcity, but we suffer from um, something called hidden heart hunger. So even though our plates are big and our portions are huge and nobody goes hungry in Europe at least, well, there's still some people that, of course, like I don't want to overestimate, but but most of us do not suffer from lack of calories, but we are suffering from lack of nutrition. And of course, this, this per, prolonged lack of um, nurturing our body will lead to, as I said, deterioration of different functions. Yeah, I quite like the analogy with the car. I think that works to sort of the body's very complex. Looking at something organic is so complex. So making it um comparing it to a car we have like you say different oils and different inputs that are required to look after different systems within that just as we do in our body and I suppose from a nutrition point of view we've kind of overlooked so much and focused so heavily on calories and the way that you look after yourself is to get the right number of calories and there's an obsession to the point where we've got food that's actually being sold more expensive for less calories. And I think when you have you have to look at that, we buy food as fuel and yet we're going to pay more for less um, because because that really underlines the issue with the food not satiating the body's needs, I think, mm. because we've mm. got like an obesity epidemic, like you say, hidden hunger and we are clearly providing the body with calories. So something is going wrong within that. I think another really interesting angle on all of this is the idea that the food is not just lacking in nutrition, but because of all the processing that it goes through and all of the different sort of detachments from its natural format, we've actually got another issue side by side with the lack of nutrition, and that's an input of chemicals and toxins that are not 
so supporting to the body. Um, mm. So I think if we could maybe look at that angle also, how how do do you have examples perhaps of how the toxins in our food are contributing to those really shocking statistics of of how the chronic diseases that we've got? Mm. Definitely. Uh, I mean, it's spot on, as you said, it's not only that we are growing food in a soil, which we'll unpack in a second, that is lacking a lot of, you know, biochemistry um, and biology that then makes the plants less nutritious, but also there is an increase in carbon dioxide in our atmosphere, which leads to production of less of a protein in our plants and more of the carbohydrates and starches. But of course, there is also the huge processing that we take specific molecules from certain food and then we just assemble it like a puzzle um, to create a new food. But then if, if you go to the supermarket, actually like, we have uh, this illusion of choice because we have this aisles and aisles and of, of, of so many different food products and shiny packages and, and amazing marketing. But all of, most of this food is constituted out of starches, some kind of, you know, wheat, um, or corn out of some oil and out of some sugar and and and, and salt, which is well, it, it, it for me it's not really and such a great variety. Um, but to address some of the chemicals that the pollutants, I think my my personal the most interesting um, uh, angle of it is um, the endocrine disruptive chemicals, um, which is these chemicals um, that are found in um, pesticides. Um, and because now you know, there was a study showing that around 30% of food uh, in Europe has um, residue of, of pesticides. And the challenge is that it's not only one pesticide, but it's, it's a cocktail. And we don't really know what happens once you're consuming a cocktail of different chemicals. And, and those and different disruptive chemicals, they enter your body and they mimic your own hormones. So they can impair your production or absorption or... or excretion of, of your natural hormones. And this is now being linked to, um, you know, increased, um, increased numbers of, of women suffering from many hormonal diseases as positive coronary syndrome, which is around 10% of women suffer from it. Like every 10th woman have a hormonal issue. It's thyroid problems, but it's also huge infertility problems. There was a study done by um, or white paper by uh, insurance company that, that said that by year 2050, only 15 to 20% of couples will be able to conceive naturally because it doesn't only affect, uh, doesn't only of course affect the female hormonal cycle, but it's also the male activity, the, 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 the sperm activity uh, in males that it's, 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 it's really dropping hugely. So, so, I mean, what better proof we need is if food we are eating literally makes us incapable of what few, what as a species, as an animal species we are designed to, which is reproduce on a very biological level. Yeah, there's so much to unpackage here. It's it's so fascinating. I think taking back to the statement that you made at the beginning, I think that beautifully sums things up. Where we have specialized healthcare. We have modern medicine that is capable of really understanding the micro details of very, very specific disorders, but we've maybe detached ourselves from the holistic view. And it's it's fascinating really how how this all brings into this picture that it, it's so interconnected, so linked that the pesticides that we're using to produce our food is actually disrupting the body in such enormous ways. And we could talk about so many different aspects of the body's functionality. But I think hormones, it's an under-discussed topic and under, it, it, you know, it's not overly understood that well on general terms, particularly mm. when it comes to nutrition. So maybe we could put a bit more focus on that. The endocrine system, um, you have, you've, you've talked about the endocrine system. Could we just summarize what that is that produces hormones essentially yeah exactly endocrine system is just a, a system in our body which const is constituted of glands throughout the body so you have from your brain where you have hypothalamus uh, pituitary gland 
to adrenal glands to of course your ovaries in in in, in women and test, testes in in men um, which are responsible so we have the glands which produce the hormones and then we have hormones which is this chemical messengers which would activate or deactivate certain responses and when we think of hormonal um, system or yeah we often think of our reproductive system but of course this is m way more i mean for the fact that you sleep and are awake and it's because of your melatonin cycle and which is also a hormone for the fact that you um you know you get excited when you have uh, chocolate it's also connected to our hormones because then you have the dopamine uh, rush and you're super excited and your body's like, wow, I won the lottery. But also now I think what's super interesting is that we have this um, much more research around also ser serotonin, which is the other hormonal cycle, which now we know is being um, released from activities, which gives us purpose. So as dopamine is like this quick rush of happiness, which is quite addicted because, you know, it's, it's a instant gratification and there's nothing wrong because we also get dopamine once we exercise. But then we also have this long, you know, more sustainable approach to happiness on a hormonal level, which you get from having a deep, meaningful purpose in life, which I find like so fascinating that we are biologically designed to look seek for a meaning it's it's extraordinary isn't it when we start to to bring it all together that that is um it is such an interesting story all of this the you the actual human body itself is fascinating it's such an incredibly intelligent machine and we have simplified it down to it needs calories it needs calories mm -hmm. to function and we talk mm -hmm. about things like protein and macronutrients and we may have some understanding of that but we very rarely talk about how our food is supporting us to feel happy and to mm -hmm. reproduce and all of those different aspects that you've just talked about the 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 hormone system then, the ability to produce hormones is like the body's ability to communicate amongst itself. It's kind of the, the, the brain is telling the ovaries what to do and the, the, it, it's, it's producing chemicals that tell us that we're happy and that's a good thing and that feels nice and I want more than that and I'm ready to sleep because it's dark now and this is, I mean, it's its how we function, isn't it? All of these things are just being human. This isn't just about having energy. Mm. And do you think that when, when you've talked about being happy, that makes me think of maybe we have made a bit of a substitution in our lives, that we've kind of got rid of a lot of the understanding that this comes from not just nutrition, but that feeling of meaning and purpose and mm. connectivity. And we've replaced it with our food in ways that perhaps we didn't realize, like sugar produces dopamine, makes us feel happy. And mm. then the other things that the hormones are doing to keep us functioning and active and stimulated, we might have a cup of coffee to stimulate us and mm. to, to wake us up. And then, of course, at the other end of the spectrum, we might feel the need to take something to help us relax and sleep at the end of the day. So is that in a in sort of natural terms, all of these are produced in the body through nutrition? So a, a range of nutritional needs to produce the different functionality of the hormones. Yes, that's that definitely correct that we, we need to, you know, we need to first and foremost have the building blocks um, in order then to actually be able to create it and then use it. But of course, it, well, as everything in life, you know, it's beyond nutrition, is of course, the most important, but, but there's many other elements. And I think, well, it's very nice to think about it in terms of uh, lifestyle medicine, which have uh, six different principles. So we have nutrition, we have physical activity, which is also extremely important to, you know, it was interesting that our, um, um, our um, system that gets away our toxins, our body doesn't have any muscle. So it doesn't have like our cardiovascular system, like a pump. So in order for us to remove the, the toxin, we need to move. So that, you know, that's our, that's our way of coping. 
Um, so, so that's why uh, exercise is so important. Then we have um, stress management because here, for example, um, if you if you have a constant exposure of cortisol, which you do when your body is in a fight or flight response, that will also impact your ability to, for example, create or reduce or, or remove from your body estrogen, right? So, so you can see how, well, of course, healthy breakfast is important, but then also those 10 minutes of breathing exercise or walking or meditation, whatever will calm you down to start your day off, it's also super important. Not, and it's something that, of course, we know like intuitively, but then it's also a physiology that needs it, right? So, so just to recap the six principles, it's nutrition, physical activity, stress management, sleep, as high sleep hygiene, so going to bed and waking up every day at the same time, not using blue screens before going to night because that can impair our melatonin production. It's uh, healthy relationships in our life. I think we forget often in, in nowadays individual life that we are social animals and eating together, spending time together, investing in each other friendships. It's important. It's extremely important. And then um, substance abuse. So being careful with alcohol, being careful with co coffee, with any other substances that we can overuse because they are yeah, so addictive. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating. It's very clear that we can't dull down our body's needs and our health needs just to one simple facet. Those six aspects come together really lovely and help to show that full picture. When it comes to the food, you've already mentioned the pesticides as being something that's very disruptive to our bodies. That in itself, just that one topic of, of the pesticides, I imagine we could talk about at length. But when we sort of dig into this deeper and we think about the impacts of nutrition and then chemicals on our bodies, which is clearly very huge, how significant do you feel the farming practices are within all of this and keeping us healthy? The farming practice is a base. It's like it's where it all begins. If we if we don't prioritize the the right, you know, the working with nature rather than against nature from the very beginning, then no matter how well we will, you know, prepare our salad or how well we'll store it or whatever it will be, if you don't have it, if you don't have your nutrients in or if you have the chemicals in from the beginning then all the rest is not really that impactful anymore. Of course, like if you have, you know, potatoes with pesticides and then you take them and create chips, deep fried chips out of them, you can make things even worse, but you cannot really reverse what's, you know, reverse of what is the starting point. That's why I think, like, you know, I always say, I, I know I'm a, by degree, uh, I'm nutritionist, but actually nutritionists are our primary farmers. Um, because they are taking the nutrients in the soil, in the water, in the seeds, in the energy of sun. And with their amazing hardship and labor, they transform those inputs into nutrition that can feed us. So what's going on in our landscapes and, and farmlands is the beginning of all our health or mishealth. Do you feel that there's growing evidence to suggest that the practices and the health of the soil impact the quality of the food 100 percent, 100 percent. and the reason what the reason um that there is so much growing evidence we created with three other amazing nutritionists uh, uh ngo called coalition of health professionals for regenerative agriculture very long name we know that but at least the name constitutes exactly what we are so we are a non-hierarchical collaborative approach of health professionals that try to promote among other health professionals and the broader society the, the health benefits of taking care of the soil. And one of the reasons why we were eager to go out there and also be the voice of um, civil servants, because we perceive ourselves as civil servants, even though, I, of course, I have a startup which helps other people, but... I don't have any, you know, hidden agenda of using regenerative agriculture terminology. For me, it's just a matter of, hey, it doesn't help the people and help, hey, it doesn't help the soil. And can farmers be rewarded for doing the right thing? Because livelihood of farmers is already very difficult. Um, but yeah, we have a whole database on our website where we 
where we accumulate all of the research that is out there. And, you know, we have that David Montgomery and Anna Biko work, which are working on it for many, many years, comparing the nutritional density um, and how it's being affected by uh, practices as minimal tillage and, and cover crops and intensive crop rotations, which enhance the soil life. And that's so cool. That is that we go away from looking at, you know, our soil as the just pure chemistry. That's okay. You add an NPK and then you have, you add this input and you have this output to say, Hey, 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 wait a second. The soil is alive. We have this like abundance of microorganisms there and without them, there's no more soil. It just becomes a dirt and we lose the ability to actually survive. And, um, and it's so cool because the, the more we cultivate this microorganism in the soil, the more they will help us to cultivate microorganisms in our gut. Um, and we know now that with a healthy, you know, diverse ecosystem in our intestines, we will have, will be different humans. We'll be thinking brighter and, and, and then having better digestion and helping us to also in our hormone cycle. So, it's so interconnected and yes, the science is there. We still need a lot of science because we still, there's an amazing organization called Bionutrient Food Association, which researches for past 10 years. I think they take samples of different food products and then they run them through their labs to show how different can be, you know, a grape from a grape. It can, or a blueberry from blueberry, it can have like multi-fold of, of, of different quantities on uh, antioxidants, for example, depending of what was the soil, what was the conditions. Um, but we still don't fully know what is exactly nutrient density. We just know that the food really differ depending on the farming practices, but we don't know what's the ultimate, like what is the best blueberry we can do, right? We don't know that yet, but it will come. Yeah, it's fantastic. So it's a really evolving area. Um, but this this work that's been going on for sort of a decade or more is is coming together now and getting more focus, which is obviously really fantastic. It really draws this idea of the significance of how we produce our food. It is relevant to all of us. It's so significant to all of us, regardless of whether we're concerned about the environment or our own health. And obviously, most of us, we're going to kind of be looking at both of those to some degree. I I find it really interesting, your own personal story. I mean, you've just mentioned the NGO that you're part of, which is in itself, it, it's huge. And you just sort of slipped that in there, like, like yeah, by the way, I just do this as well. So you, you created Harvest Care, like you say, that's your startup, which we're going to talk about um, more shortly. You work on this NGO, but before all of this, you, whilst still in university, you created a co-op uh, that was based on repurposing coffee waste. And I think that this is a really interesting story because, I mean, there's so many, so much that it says, but at the heart of it is this idea that, well, look, we live in a world that's not ideal. And I really feel that so many people are aware of these issues, but I'm not going to feel bogged down by that. I'm going to, I'm going to do something and I'm going to do it right now. And I'm going to find a path that even with minimal time or minimal experience, I can feel like I'm making a difference. And you really did succeed in that. So could you could you just share um, some aspects of, of that work? What motivated you and what did you learn from it? Oh, thank you so much for the kind words. It's very, yeah, it's, it's very heartwarming to, to hear somebody's uh, outlook on your, your story that was very organic. Um, and it's very right that I think we are so over bombarded with the information of what is going wrong. But when we kind of, you know, when we surrender, I think, to these informations and we just think, oh, the system is too big, I cannot do anything, then we are just part, we are kind of part of the problem then because we, we, have a, we have a system that is far from ideal and it's, was designed without really a lot of knowledge of how our actions will will influence, you know, how our inputs and decisions will influence the outputs. But now we have this knowledge and the system is something that people are creating. So if, if you know, and I, I really believe that everybody knows something that could be better, no matter if you are a shoemaker and you know that the shoes we are being, using are not really designed to our 
anatomy of our feet or if, if you know you're a baker and you know that we should be doing flour dough and not just based on bread on yeast because that doesn't give us the full nutrition i mean everybody knows something that can be better and then it's just a matter if are we going to make the system crash on us and remove our dreams and hopes and our eagerness to change it because we would just think oh what can one person do versus if we are going to start the, taking action and and i know it's not a straightforward but i think that, that it's very important to start taking like the smallest action and this is that's this is how it started for me it's not like from being a nutritionist, I was like, oh, I'll be the systemic entrepreneur and I'll have an NGO and this and that. I just wanted to like volunteer in a community garden and community kitchens to be around people to learn something. And then because you're around kind people who encourage you to be yourself, I was like, okay, what is the next thing I can do to give back to the community? And it, it turned out that I was really into the soil and I, you know, I asked my mom to buy me like this small like soil samples that I can do it myself to taste pH and stuff like this. And I was like, this is so cool. And so I started to, was like, okay, I really want to help this community uh, garden to improve their soil. And I was a barista, so I had lots of bio waste from my coffee shop. And I was, wow, why not use the, the, the coffee, which has a lot of nitrogen in the compost to make like super powerful compost. So I set up like a small outdoor office um, next to the compost. And I remember, you know, I put my laptop uh, in Excel and Excel and I started to calculate, like, I bought like the special weight so I could, you know, weigh the, the horse poop versus like my scraps. And I was like, because the aim of the compost is to have like one to 30 of uh, green to brown materials. So, you know, you, I was like, okay, let me, let me, let me get it spot on. So that was, you know, and that was just, I was doing it for myself. I wasn't doing it for anybody. Nobody was asking me to make an Excel sheet of a compost. I was just like, this is so cool. The sun is shining. I, there's a whole horse poop around me. Life is great. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I was like, but okay, but if my company is throwing away all of this biomaterial, which is a beautiful resource. And I, I definitely start looking at our economy from perspective of bioeconomy. I like, I don't care about inorganic materials anymore. All I care about is like, what's alive and how can we bring more life because we are missing life in our cities. So I went to every single coffee shop in my, in my city in Opus back in Denmark, which was around 30. And I said, what do you do with your coffee? What do you do with your coffee? And everybody besides one lady, which was using in her garden said, well, we actually don't do anything. And I thought, okay, the, the size of the problem is, is, is probably um, of a size that I cannot tackle myself of just doing compost, even though I tried as I also went to different community garden and I said, hey guys, you can use wood chips from this, uh, from this um, furniture store next door and you can use coffee and everybody. And it was so cool because it's like, if, if, you know, I always like to say that I'm, I want to be a voice of my, of, of life that doesn't have a voice. So like I was the voice of the microbes in the compost. And because I was telling their story, everybody got so excited. They were like, oh, let me touch it. Let me smell it, you know? So that's super cool. Um, so, so that was going for a bit. And then I was like, okay, we need to bring it to the next level. And I, I figured out that you can eat it because you can you can eat coffee grounds if you if if you if you simply dry it and mill it and you can use you can use it as a substitute or like functional flour. And I thought, okay, but I need help because you know I, I I'm just a simple nutritionist. I don't have so much knowledge about marketing and business blah. So I just wrote on like Facebook group like, hey, I'm doing this. Like, this somebody wants to help me. And there was five people that were like, sure, we can help you. Um, and just how it started and, and we're working on it for two years. And that was so, so empowering because the moment you just start with, with initiatives, you'll get so much help. That's the beauty part. Like people really want to be like part of change. And there's a bit of money that we got to test the coffee flower in the, in the, um, um, lab. So then we figure out that it's a lot of caffeine. So you can actually, you know, that was the whole thing. Like we bring coffee from, Latin America, Asia, Africa for caffeine. And then actually we extract like only one third of the caffeine, right? So like in the hundred grams of, of coffee waste, we still have around two to three um, equivalents of espresso cups of caffeine. 
So we really need to rethink of, okay, what are we doing with this raw material and how it's being used later on? It was really fun journey. I mean, I learned so much because we made so many mistakes and we just were trying. That's the thing. The worst part is that I think the perfectionist, when you're like, I cannot do it because I need to know everything already before I even start the journey. I mean, that's the thing. You learn on the way while you make mistakes and you just accept that you try and you try the best. But what more can you do? I absolutely love your energy. It's so um, refreshing to, to sort of come into this space and just see this right. We're just going to do it. And like you just said, don't try to be perfect. Don't make the perfect plan because everything you've just described, we could discuss for hours because it gets my mind thinking about the different opportunities of waste from one thing, from just from the coffee, like when you, you, you say, okay, well, we're, we're doing, expending all of this energy and all of these resources to bring it across the globe. And then it's just dismissed. And it's still actually functional as the product that we brought it over for. It still contains the caffeine that we can consume. But you started it because that was what you was exposed to. You didn't go, this is the one thing and everybody should now go and focus on coffee. You said, I'm a barista. I, I have this um, opportunity right there at my feet. And I'm also part of a community garden and I can make that link. And I think the other thing that you said that is so on point to myself is I'm not interested in non-organic materials um, because as an individual, you can connect to the organic in a circular way, regardless of you don't need a factory, you don't need to go and e explore and experiment and, and come up with new technologies, you, you just can connect within your own community. And I love that about what you're doing, that idea that you just in a city even not not kind of on a farm, it's just taking the opportunities right there at your feet and making action on them. And they're just going, right, I, I, it's, it's led me in a new direction. I don't have the experience over to Facebook. And, and how exciting is that, that we live in a world where that then can lead to impactful change and, and, and a momentum to something new and then to something new and something new again. And I, I, I think that we need more of that, that, that sense of um, letting it be inspired by its its own kind of momentum and mm. and and the, the direction that it takes you in so all of this you clearly got a whole lot of um very heart-centered approach to life and really connected with the way that the world ticks around in in its natural form and the kind of onset from your nutritional education is that you've created a startup called harvest care and what you're doing with this is you're, I suppose, empowering people through this information around nutrition. And everything we've talked about, we've talked about a, a, so many different topics. We could sort of sh go, go off on, on many different tangents with this conversation. But all of it, it's coming together is this idea to me that there's so much power in our awareness of the connection between what we eat and how it impacts our lives, not just our bodies, but our happiness, our routines, our sleep, everything. And so what it kind of comes to this conclusion in my mind is that it's this enormous power that's also very simple to offer to people. And I don't mean to say that in a sort of negative kind of dismissive way, I love but that it's so. so much to offer people to so life-changing. And I suppose that's at the heart of, of, of Harvest Care. Is, to me, it's kind of this empowering people with this information and knowledge. So from an individual point of view, because I know you offer a variety of services, what, what tends to be the process and offering that you have for individuals? Yeah, as I said, I really like your conclusion a lot. And as, as, as you said, like it is about simplicity because often we think, oh, nutrition has to be like this fancy maca powder and goji berries and, you know, some, some exotic um, vegetables brought from Asia. But the thing is that we know that actually the highest nutrition you will have is, as we spoke, if the soil is healthy, but also if it's harvested at the right time and and consumed with a short time between harvest. So what we really want to make people aware is that 
Health doesn't have to be expensive and exotic. Health can be your local cabbage that you will transform to a sauerkraut where you will suddenly have vitamin C. And then you don't have to have necessarily an orange in winter. You can just have, you know, a bit of a fermented cabbage that you harvested two months ago. Um, but for individuals, we would, as we were, you know, ideating about the startup, and of course, the, the aim is this to be something, well, beyond just nutritional service because of course they can come in and i said oh this is the colors you should be having per day and that's it but as you see and as i think we all feel that our food our landscape is so interconnected and it's really a mindset shift so the question is how can we empower people for this mindset shift that is beyond just thinking of a food as calories in and calories out and 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 what we recognized in making different uh, interviews with people is that those who are the, the, the biggest, um, uh, well, best moment to make mindset shift is when sadly their health starts to um, deteriorate in some uh, angle and another, which is very sad that like once we already have visible problems in our body screaming, pay attention to me. This is when we start looking, you know, at what are the alternatives and what are the solutions and what have I been actually doing for my life. So we 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 offer uh, one month and three months nutritional coaching programs, which really looks at like taking a person from no matter where they are to after this months of three months to be able to be fully on their own, become a regenerative consumer, know what's good for you in terms of cooking, know how to make a meal plans, know how to make a budget plans for yourself. So really want to look at it from not only, you know, telling you what to do because you have IBS and you need to uh, drastically change what kind of foods you have on your plate in order to hit your gut. So we have special, you know, programs where we go week by week and we tell, we offer you at different foods that will progressively hit your gut but it's also really making it very sustainable so you can be independent afterwards and you feel confident of knowing where to source your food. So we are working on a map that can, right now in the Netherlands, that can help you to find the regenerative farmers. So we call to every farmer and we ask them, hey, what do you do with your soil? Because I also don't really believe anymore so much in just certification because there's so many amazing small-scale farmers that are doing beyond organic, but they're not certified just because of how administrative work works, right? So it's really about creating the transparency. And we're also working on, on, on like recipes for those people for the specific diseases. So it's really taking you totally from zero, no matter where you are, to be like full-on regenerative consumer. That's so lovely. It's... um. I I completely agree with you about the certification and I love that you go to that length and and get directly in touch with the landowners and the producers that's um, yeah only the the story of what they're doing on that land I suppose is the way that you know the the actual um, is, is there any themes that people come to you with is IBS something that's common or is that just an example you gave and and do people experience quite dramatic healing through these um, experiences of transforming the way that they eat IBS was the one of them example it can but there's we we see a lot of people with different gut issues so IBS IBD um, leaky gut but also hormonal issues you know like PCOS endometriosis where Food in, in those diseases, food um, can be part of the healing process. So for example, by BS, of course, you also need to look at your mental health. And you also, as we spoke, like it's all about the lifestyle medicine. So I, I never like to just narrow it to, to, you know, one approach because we need to put a full on body experience and mind experience to get the healing process. But definitely people and um, people just manage to, you know, change how they feel and how they are um and it's something that after attending many doctors and to many hospital visits etc none of the services there was really offering them so that just really shows the need to incorporate the nutrition and incorporate the behavior changes because that's the crucial part i mean even if a doctor will tell you 
hey, have this diet or lose weight because you're insulin resistant, that, that's correct. But so what that this is correct? If the doctor will not give you the ability to motivate you, the ability to, to help you with developing strategies which will fit your lifestyle, which they will fit you know, your preferences, you're also your cultural background. I mean, if I tell you eat beetroot and you're from, you know, uh, Asia where maybe they don't have beetroot, like what, what's the point of it? You know, like it has to be really connected to your whole lifestyle. And then we can talk about sustainable and transformative healing processes. Yeah. I think you've hit on something really important there. The idea that we can't just through information alone, make a transformation to habits that we're very routine in and that we're stuck in. And we need some of the motivation and clearly having that um, accountability and coming to sessions with yourself, that's that's part of that. And then, of course, the idea of community and people around you or positive routine. One of the biggest motivations in life is always money. I think we, we kind of acknowledge that. And you've You've, you've already touched on we can take the humble cabbage and turn that into a powerhouse um, through fermentation, basically, to turn it into sauerkraut. And fermentation is clearly a, a huge part of, of the picture that we haven't particularly touched on a huge amount here. But I wondered if you had any other compelling thoughts where people can be inspired by the idea that changing nutrition really... Um, high quality food can actually be a saving in other areas of their life, whether that's um, supplements and vitamins, and then in the longer term, healthcare, because that can cost us a lot. Definitely, definitely. I love your approach. You know, you know yeah, like I'm so sad that we don't have school economics anymore, because that was a, a, a subject that would really help us to have this very practical knowledge, but sadly, school economics would pushed out of the schools because of the lobby of processed food. So, you know, th there was this opposition of people still wanting to cook and learning about it. And then the, the processed food created their own school economics in US when they were inviting teachers and mothers to teach them how to cook with their prepackaged food. So I think we really have to, as you said, go back to simplicity and just go back to learning of what's relevant to every single person. But so, yes, to answer your questions to, to, of how can we reduce the food spending while also taking care of our health and, and have delicious meals, first is planning. I mean, if we plan properly, if, if I know that I will be for sure throughout the month eating whole grains as buckwheat and millet and whole grain rice, all of the dry stuff, you can order it directly from a farmer or, or from some wholesaler and just pay less because you were ordering bulk. So being able to plan it and store it, you know, I'm so sad because like whenever I go to Italy and I visit my best friend, he, always, he shows, he shows me this huge cellar where he can like keep, you know, a tank of olive oil of like bigger than, than my bed. And, and for him, it's uncomprehensible that I'm buying olive oil in one liter. Uh, and of course, like I live in Holland right now, so it's not that I have a direct access to olive oil meal, but still I can plan things in advance um, and just buy them in bulk. Um, another element is to, for example, freeze. I mean, if, if, you, if right now blueberries will be cheaper during the summer, why just not buy more of them and just freeze them? under peak nutrition. We know that uh, freezing is stopping the, you know, enzymatic uh, disruption of, of our nutrients. So it's very, it's very wise to just use the seasonality and buy what's cheapest at the right time. Um, and then, um, so we have, yeah, we have good planning, we have using what's in season, but we have also like, for example, knowing what can you eat and maximizing our nutrition out of it. Take it, for example, uh, cauliflower leaves. Cauliflower leaves are delicious in the oven, or you can make fresh burger from them. So once we know of like, what can I actually use, you suddenly have less of a food waste, which you didn't even know it's a food waste because you didn't know you can eat it. Um, and, then, um, and then just also, if you're having a, a you know, nutritious diet and say you buy a kilo of chickpeas that cost around two euros, 
And then you plan again, that goes back to planning and you are, you plan it and you have like three dishes of chickpeas in the upcoming day. For those two euros, you manage to probably supplement yourself like 20% of calories per day versus two euros is also just one Snickers bar. But again, you have to anticipate that you'll be hungry. And this is what's uncomprehendable for me is that people every single day, they're forgetting that as they will reach home, they will be hungry and they will have to stop on the bakery or on a train station and get themselves a snack. I'm like, yeah, just in the room that uh, I'm a human being and at every single day at five, I'm hungry. So a bit of pre-planning goes a very long way. <laughs> yes. And awareness and comprehension that you're a yeah, human being that has the processes that will be reactivated every single day. We are quite habitual organism like i know we love novelty and we go to internet and we always want new but actually our body doesn't want new our body wants routine yeah and if if we could just touch very quickly on the idea of fermenting because it, it seems to be something you've you've brought up a couple of times and people might not know what that is or why that's so significant so ah uh, fermentation this is a great topic indeed uh, the fermentation uh, Okay, so fermentation is basically cultivating life and um, by, uh, there are different types of fermentation, but the simplest lactic acid fermentation is taking the bacteria that are naturally present in our, in our vegetables, as for example, cabbage, as we were talking, but we, there's, there's many uh, vegetables we can ferment, cauliflower or, and carrots, etc., etc., and submerging in water, so creating anaerobic environments, so that means without an oxygen, where the lactic acid fermentation will start feeding on sugars in our vegetables and will start uh, transforming them and will start to multiplying the microorganisms. So fermented food are naturally um, probiotics because you know, you, you probably, and many of your listeners know probiotics as the pills that you pop in to diversify your microbiome, but you can do the same just with your cabbage if you invest in a jar, water, a bit of salt and a month of waiting. Yeah, so it's very simple. And yeah. it's sort of it's offering preserving it, I suppose, and increasing the nutrition. So yet again, this right. is um turning a, a a friend out of those bacteria. Because we keep we keep touching on this topic, whether it's in the soil, in our guts, using them to to ferment our food, they're 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 a very big ally to have. And Everything that, that you're doing is, is about making the information and the food accessible for people. You're not just sort of stopping at that individual level. You're also looking at how do we do this to the people at disadvantage? How do we do this at scale? So there's an aspect to Harvest Care that's about societal change. Exactly. And and it's it's a kind of it, it steps things up a notch. So I'd really love to hear your thinking behind that and how you're approaching it. Thank you for the question. And you know, I'm very so I'm dyslexic and a friend of mine sent me like this article saying how dyslexic people just cannot like logically understand inequalities. And I really feel like I'm like like logically from my like brain i cannot understand how is it possible that in the world full of possibility where we send people to the to the moon you know where we where we have crazy accessibility of, of internet and i can talk to my mom even though she's thousands of kilometers away how did we still not figure it out how to properly feed each other and how to take care of those who have less than us and how even our consciousness is allowing us to, to kind of seek for new information and seek for development and growth and super hyper individualistic approach where we have people who literally just struggle with having enough on our plate every day, you know? And, and also like, how can we be such a short thinkers that we don't connect dots that if you have a disadvantaged, vulnerable community, this community will have, you know, kids that do not have proper nutrition and those kids will develop to humans that do not develop on their full capacity and potential because they didn't literally get like the base to develop psychologically and physically. So I really don't understand that why I want to change it because they think it's stupid. 
uh, and I was looking, you know, I was doing a lot of research of what's going on. And of course, then it always goes down to social innovation. You know, how can we put people together? How can we empower them with um, needed tools in order to get out from the situation they are right now? And my life became very easy half a year ago because I found this amazing model from Harvard University called Teaching Kitchens. So what they do is that they take especially vulnerable community, and they put them on a cohort of around three to four months where they provide them in a group setting nutritional uh, education about yeah what we talked to, about today, like nutritional planning, basic, uh, basic budget planning, meal planning, and basic nutrition knowledge. Then they also provide them nutrition, uh, cooking skills via cooking workshop with professional chefs from uh, culinary school of art in US, because that's back in US. And then they also supplement it with um, individual consultation on, on the phone, uh, because I think it's very important that you kind of mingle between group setting and individual setting. So those people, you know, after four months, and the, the focus on, of this model is to prove it empirically, to show that this really works and this is a, a solid alternative to um, to solely pharmaceutical approach to chronic diseases. So specifically focus on also people who suffer from chronic diseases, but we know that chronic diseases are interlinked with our social status. So those who are you know less privileged will are at higher risk on developing them. And there are many obvious reasons because you, you live in a food desert, so you don't have access to healthy food. The healthy food is more expensive. You, you, yeah, you just don't have the, the time as well because maybe you're working two part, two full-time jobs and you have a family to take care of. So there's just not that much also mental space. So this model is being proven that it works. People have, yeah, people have less cholesterol, less glucose level, uh, less weight after after this period. But what's most important, of course, biometrics are super important if you want to change the system because you need to show the proof and you can start, you know, pushing it, not pushing it, but offering an alternative, as I said, to pharmaceutical approach. But also people say that they never felt so empowered in their life, that they never felt so good, you know, and they have this approach of uh, show one, teach one. So at the end of first cohort, uh, people from the cohort cook for the next cohort and the, the people from the next group say, oh, we'll never be able to, you know, bake such amazing lasagna and make such amazing salad. And they're like, the first group says, no, you will just believe and trust and commit. So we are working on, uh, right now this model is mostly in the US, but we are working on bringing it into Europe. There's only one uh, location in in Germany, and my really like my life vision is to have teaching kitchen in Europe in every single school, in every single hospital, in every single community center. And we are slowly getting there to have our first teaching kitchen projects in, in Amsterdam and in Rotterdam. Actually, we just uh, we just got accepted uh, with a small grant uh, for, a, for a first six workshops for uh, Arabic minority here in Rotterdam, where we'll be having it combined with, with um, educational workshop and then community kitchen together. So I'm very happy, and I think that that's the future. That's the future, especially with regenerative teaching kitchen. That means that we go the next step and we source our food locally. We source our food from vertical supply chains and we fuel a whole new food system and economy and a healthcare system. That's fantastic. So teaching kitchen, are you using that as a um, sort of sub-brand? Are you going off the back of that with your own work or are you just using the model? So the teaching kitchen is like a, 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 a co collaborative blueprint so we you we will be harvest care, which is part of the teaching kitchen, which I love because then you have like a, a global community that you're tapping in and you're saying, hey, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. Apparently, education and community and good food is enough to heal ourselves. I'm, I'm, I'm really not that fan of like huge innovations in this regard. I'm like, we know what we have to do. We just need to scale it up and replicate it. Absolutely. And how does the funding work for that? How do, do the cohort members, they get invited, they get selected, or are they paying to be involved? No, no, there's no payment on their side. So we are looking for different uh, funding opportunities from municipality, from grants, 
but the, the whole thing is that people who benefit from it do not have to pay. And that's very important because then you can have people that otherwise who could never aff afford and attend this kind of programs. And right now, the way we approach it, there's different teaching kitchens because most of them are actually in hospitals. So that's it's different. But for our version of teaching kitchen, we are having local grassroots partners which already have a community and we kind of come into this community which already do something with food and we are upgrading it kind of to the next level with education and regeneration and, and individual support yeah so it really collaborates well with what's pre-existing which is a fantastic exactly. approach yeah yeah don't like you say don't reinvent the wheel and you're sort of building on what's there i think I think an important aspect to touch on just quickly is the idea of um, if we we're, we're growing our food, we're taking real great care about how we source it and that the soil is good quality and, and all of these things, then we're going to really do it an injustice. If we take that wonderfully nutritional food and we store it for excessively long times or we transport it across the globe um, and particularly if we process it heavily. So so all of these ideas kind of bring me to the thought of a localised food system, the seasonality, local, it's been grown, we harvest it, we eat it fairly quickly, fairly fresh. Do you consider that localised food system to be a sort of integral part of your own vision? 100%, 100%. Like... You know, they always said, you know, think global, act local, which is now a cliche, but it's true. I mean, I want to, I want to know my farmer, you know, I want to know my, you, you, I have a small exercise for your, for your listeners. Go to your kitchen, look around in your fridge, in your cupboards, on your, on your, on your tables and think of, okay, how many of those products do I actually know people who grow this food for me? And of course, there will be certain food products as, as, you know, tea or coffee, which you won't know probably ever your farmer, but you can still at least buy like direct trade. So you, you can buy it directly from a cooperative. So then you have sense of, you know, you bypassing a lot of middlemen that usually take a lot, most of the, the profit. But, but really, I, I want to, I want to see those people faces. I want to see their hands with their soil under their, their fingernails, you know. So 100% localized because then we are empowered and then we're skipping big corporations. I just want to skip the big corporation as much as possible and, um, and, and feel deeply connected to the landscape. And, and, you know, that's why it comes back to fermentation as well. You know, with fermentation, you brew again live in your local environment. So, so, and what's so cool about fermentation is that you can also ferment as, for example, compostable tea that you can apply for the landscape. So for the soil, so it's the same fermentation for human body fermentation for soil. But again, we know that the best compost is made out of local biomaterials because then it's the most, the, the, the microbiome is more adaptable and it's more the, the most, you know, feasible. So it's the same. Like I know that my body most likely will fit the best with what is locally here. But right now, because of the global supply chain, it's like playing Tetris. You know, like you, you're trying to take a banana from Africa and and you know like this from there, and you're trying to feed it bio, biochemically. But I think our body are losing the wisdom, and we need to teach to reteach them again what's their in, inner wisdom of nutrition. Yeah, uh, you've, you've touched on so much here that's about that interconnectedness of, of everything, that real holistic view of not only just our bodies and how they're connected to the food that we eat and the land, but also from a societal point of view, which I thought was very beautiful when you explained earlier about this idea that how, how can you step back and not feel the need to support the people that are around you in the sense of if they can't find food to put on the table or you know being part of a community and understanding that we're all connected to one another too so if if they're not able to feed their children then that's impacting the whole we are we are a whole um and and moving forward that that seems to be so important for us to all acknowledge and it's it's been a really really interesting and wonderful conversation with you and I, I we've touched upon the different things that you do so let's just summarize them and then 
um, maybe help people understand which ones they can get involved with and how they can do that. So you've got Harvest Care and then you've got your NGO and Harvest Care in itself has also got several um, tiers. Um, so if I, I'll leave that to you to summarise and uh, leave us with a sense of how we get involved. Beautiful, thank you. Yes, so if, if somebody has particular health problems, then they can go to Harvest Care and they can also uh, like join one of our food coaching programs to, to get the help that they are not getting from the healthcare system, which is very sad. Um, also, if somebody is in Holland, they can um, they can join one of our workshops or they can bring us into their company because now we also start making like in-house nutritional workshops to help companies to understand how much they can gain and, and help the well-being of the of their employees with the food that also boosts our productivity. That's the whole different level of how much productivity we are losing because of inadequate nutrition. And then if anybody works in foundations or was also with social projects, then we can connect via the teaching kitchen model and how can we scale it up? And our ambition is to scale it up to the level that it becomes incentivized by insurance companies. And I hope that this will become not only on national, but also whole EU level. Uh, and then if anybody's interested more on the science part, uh, they can join, uh, in, if you're a health professional, but also farmers, they can join one of our webinars from the Coalition of Health Professionals for Regional of Agriculture. We have a whole database on our website. With, with, we're trying to put it up to date of the newest research about nutrient density. We also run our own webinars around uh, soil health, human health connection. And then we are very collaborative. So, so if somebody wants to run webinars with us um, to kind of spread their message, we, we kind of facilitate, yeah, we facilitate this channel to help people in. So that would be two main tracks that we can connect and join together our forces. And as you said, like we are so interconnected and there's, you know, I don't believe in competition of any sort. I believe in full on collaboration and um, just empowering each other in our works like you are doing with your amazing work podcast. So thank you so much also for empowering me in this one, one hour together. <laughs> well, thank you. Ed. Thank you for sharing so much about your work. It's absolutely wonderful. I'll make sure that there's links to both Harvest Care and the NGO, the coalition in the description so people can find that nice and easily. And uh, yeah, just want to say finally, thank you and congratulations and best of luck with everything that you're doing. Thank you so much, Helen. It was amazing. And thank you for listening to this episode of We Are Carbon. New episodes are added every other Tuesday, so don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date. It's a huge help to the show if you'd like to add a thumbs up or a review on whichever platform you're listening on. And let's keep figuring this all out together. Together.